You are about to enter a great adventure. strutting from gorilla i got myself we got mikey cash in the building today we got a fantastic episode we're talking about stone cold steve austin the one and only the texas rattlesnake um here today you know we, we like to do a lot of in real life topics but today we're we're going back to uh the basics kind of our our sweet spot uh talking about the attitude era superstars uh and beyond uh, before we get going, I do want to mention, make sure you check us out on Twitter and on TikTok at from underscore gorilla and breaking news. We have a Facebook and an Instagram. The Facebook handle is SFG podcast and the Instagram is F S F gorilla pod. That's SF Gorilla Pod. And uh, sorry, I messed that up. These are all new for me. So make sure you check them out. They'll have uh, have some great updates on there. Uh, for those of you who have never listened before, this is a podcast with four longtime wrestling fans uh, talking about everything under the sun from wrestling. And uh, tonight we're talking about Stone Cold. We are down two members, the leader of men and Big Mango. But... The show must go on, right, Mikey Cash? Absolutely. And you know we're ready and willing to take the ball and run with it. So let's do get it. That, get that brass ring, right? Take that that's, brass ring. That's, that's right, pal. Grab the ring. Yep, yep. So today, let's get right into it. We're, we're talking about Stone Cold, right? You know, probably the biggest, if not best, superstar of all time and you you could debate it you know what i mean it's definitely debatable uh, but we're just going to go through his career a little bit here touch on some of the stuff that was on the a and e documentary recently which i thought was great and uh also the um the blu-ray which is stone cold the bottom line um and uh mike i'll let you you start us up here yeah uh thanks for that Vito. um i i will just start off by saying if you really want just a play-by-play and a timeline of Austin's whole career, I would recommend you watch the a e documentary and or buy that Blu-ray. We're just going to sort of talk about the things that stood out to us from those things. So just keep in mind that if we're missing things, we don't want people calling us out on Twitter saying that we don't know our shit. We do, but for the sake of time, we're just going to run through the things that we were really interested in. So with that said, just touch on some of his early years. You know, Austin was trained uh, by gentleman Chris Adams in his wrestling school. He actually ended up taking home rookie of the year in 1990, which already was uh, making Austin sort of a standout amongst uh, some of the other folks that were coming in at that time. Uh, I like to try to include some match standouts. I know usually at the end of the podcast, people are, are used to me giving my two cents and match recommendations. I'm going to sprinkle those in as we're talking about these periods in Austin's career. So what I would say is people can go on the network 
try to find uh, Stunning Steve Austin versus Gentleman Chris Adams from May 1990. The network doesn't have a lot of USWA stuff. This match in particular was actually from the Blu-ray, so if you can get your hands on it, it's pretty easy to find. Um, Vito, what did you have to take from some of his early stuff? I, did you get to sort of see it much? I mean, yeah, from like the documentary and stuff? Yeah, I did. I mean, I don't know too much about it, to be completely honest with you, but watching it was very interesting. I, I love the fact, you know, you go back and... Uh, you know, I always equate things like what's different about today compared to the superstars of yesteryear, right? And again, you go back to this grind that they had mm-hmm. to go through where they had to suffer. I mean, there was a point where he talked about he had to ask his parents for money and Stone Cold Steve Austin isn't the type of guy that is going to do that. And Absolutely not. He grinded through it all. And, you know, it took him a long time to get to the top. And unfortunately today, because you don't have those territories and that competition, it's you don't see that grind. So I think it's actually affecting the quality. It's like a give and take. And we could debate this all day mm-hmm. with some of the good stuff that's gone on for wrestlers and some of the bad stuff. And what yeah. it's like, a, a it's like that kind of in all sports really, but it's, I really think that that grind is what made a superstar great. And I'll talk more about it as we go along. Absolutely. Um, but the one thing you had talked about was when he was being trained and how Mick Foley was up in the rafters and saw him. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to say now, you know, it's easy. I always laugh. With of course. Like, oh, I remember that guy, you know, like <laughs> I knew that right away. He was going to be a superstar. But, like it's you know, such bullshit, right? Yeah. They're, oh, they're, they're just blowing smoke. It's so, it's so disingenuous. Yeah, they keep that that kayfabe going no matter what. But mm-hmm. no, it was uh, pretty cool that they, that he did see him. He did remember that, and I I, I believe that's genuine. Um, and he probably did stand out. I mean, he's a pretty talented guy. Well, absolutely, he kind of had the look, especially yeah. at that time. Think about some of the tag teams that were really popular back then, like the Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, the the hair man, and think of the time frame, like the eighties hair bands. Like, look at those long, luscious blonde locks <laughs> Austin when he first debuted. It's wonderful. Yeah, I hate the wrestlers with good hair. I really do. It just it makes me jealous. If you don't know, I don't have hair, and you know, it just it's I it it pisses me off. Like, I wish I could do that. You know, Jericho yeah. pissed me off the most because. He would always do the little ponytail, which I found out recently was because of uh, Kiss, right? The Gene Simmons look. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know that, but that's where he got it from. But uh, anyways, that's way off subject. But but no, I agree, though. He definitely had that look at the time where it was the long blonde hair. Like it was everyone was trying to do that, be a rocker, you know? So. (laughs) Oh, man. And so, Vito, going off of something you said. You're talking about the grind and part of the grind and something that we've lamented a little bit here before is the territories. So being able to go around to all these different places and hone the craft and there wasn't just this one, we say cookie cutter a lot, but really it's the best way to describe it. This yeah. one style that the performance center now is the the biggest distributor of. So it was really cool to see that. And and again, it's just another example of that system did work and it turned out a lot of really big stars. By the time they got to WWF, they were pretty polished. Yeah, I would agree there. And it's one of those things. It's just Austin's like that perfect example, though, of like, I, I don't know that if he came up to the Performance Center, he would have been as popular as he is now. I mean, different yeah, times. Not. But when we get talking about it, like, I think that grind and that passion and the failures that came along with it, it wasn't like moving up the ranks in a system. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. he literally was fighting tooth and nail trying to get over. 
you know, yeah. trying to get over, trying to figure out how to wrestle. And he learned from, again, he, he, he had some yeah. great people behind him. And I think a lot of this goes with, you know, not only was he a good superstar and he could talk and he could wrestle, but he was able to have, be at the right spot at the right time for a lot of places. And it was like this perfect storm. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of being able to sort of learn from so many people. So he gets rookie of the year, 91, he gets signed to WCW. And as soon as he gets in there, basically his first singles run is part of Paul Heyman's Dangerous Alliance. So it's Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Larry Zabisco, Medusa, Rick Rude, Michael Hayes. That's a hell of a learning tree to be under. And so like Awesome was really fortunate to be working with them. He ends up winning like the TV title. So uh, things were going pretty well for him at that time. And while he was sort of associated with them, then he kind of breaks off and the booker at the time, Dusty tells him, you know, Hey baby, we're going to give you the UF title run. We're going to be Holly Ratha, the manager, baby. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be money. And then, you know, Austin already shares his story. He shows up at TV. Brian Pillman walks up to him. He's like, hey, kid, we got to come up with a finish. We're attacking now. <laughs> Austin just freaks out. And so, like, things just got changed on the fly. And it ended up being sort of a blessing in disguise, which happens a lot in wrestling. And he ends up teaming up with Brian Pillman, and they form the Hollywood Blondes. And they actually have a pretty successful tag team run. Yeah, no, I would agree there. And I, I, from what I understand in the documentary talks about how he didn't even like Brian Pillman from the beginning. And then all of a sudden they became good friends and I could see that they have two different personalities. Like Austin's very, you can see in the documentary, he's very reserved guy, right? Like he, he doesn't put his personal business out there. He goes about it in a professional way and he's just trying to get over and he'll do whatever it takes, but he seems like a really professional guy. And Pillman kind of is the loose cannon. Right. And I think, his his personality was like that in general anyways. Oh, absolutely. He totally lived up to that moniker. Like he was living kayfabe backstage all the time, never quit. So I'm sure that kind of threw Austin off and probably pissed him off more than on, on more than one occasion. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's a funny story about Austin and WCW, and I, I didn't hear about it on either of these documentaries. Mm-hmm. It's actually in the Vader book. I don't know if you've gotten to this chapter yet, but when Arn Anderson and Vader, uh, not Vader, Arn Anderson and Sid Vicious had that altercation. I don't know if you remember that where the no, Arn stabbed. I didn't get to that part yet. Oh, Arn stabbed Vader. And it was the whole reason. Oh, it was crazy. Like what? WCW was a at this time was a disaster. And that's why Austin left. And a lot of these guys left. They, there were people at the top that would not allow people to loot. Basically dusty Rhodes left as a booker and they had, um, gosh, I can't remember who came in mm-hmm. as the, the owner, but, uh, they, they let the top guys run the place basically. And it right. funny, it continued on with Hogan and everything to this day to, to WCW's demise. But there was a point where, um, Arn Anderson and Sid Vicious got in a fight and, Sid was stabbed by Arn Anderson. It got crazy. It got absolutely yeah. nuts. But they were talking about Austin was drinking with Vader and he was there. Like he was there. They were drinking at the the uh at the bar. And I just I didn't realize Austin was there at the time of the stabbing. It was like a big known thing. That's why they they ended up like going with Arn Anderson's side, even though v- Sid Vicious was stabbed and then Sid left and went to WWF. So a very interesting story. Wait till, you, wait till you get to that chapter. But but anyways, it was just funny because they were talking about Austin and how Austin was complaining about his booking and everything. And it was a few days basically before he left uh, WCW. 
Oh, really? That's yeah. a fascinating story. I, I can't wait to read that in the book. Oh, it's crazy. Vader, That's... it's on Vader's side, though. Vader basically, he says, Vader says that he stuck his thumb in the wound of uh, of Sid Vicious and saved his life. That's that's what he says in the book, at least. So we'll wow. see. Vader's yeah. a real champion of the people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the biggest good Samaritan I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's that's funny. Wow. So I anyways, mean... so they so he goes into the Hollywood Blondes, right? And then he has a little bit of a, a singles match, right? He, he singles run. He gets on like he gets some good momentum yeah. going there. So uh, during this time with the Hollywood Blondes, he ends up winning tag team championships with Brian Pillman. Uh, they're one of the matches I have to to sort of sprinkle in here is Hollywood Blondes against Shane Douglas and Ricky Steamboat uh, for the tag team titles, and it was on a WCW Worldwide, and I think I believe in '93. I I don't know what's happening with like Peacock in the network. So I, I, it might be on there by now, but when I tried to go search for it, I couldn't find it. And I couldn't really, I told find you it on YouTube, the right to censor in reality one, you know, it's, it was a funny meme, but it's true. You know, the right to censor with Godfather and everyone they've won. We just, it's, it's real life. They've won and they have taken over Peacock. Well, listen, slow your roll for a second, because I don't think they're censoring anything. Remember what they said. They're, they're, transitioning the whole library over from the proper app of WWE network to Peacock. So I think it might just be one of the things that hasn't made it on there yet. I could swear. I saw worldwide's on the network before when it was its own solo app. So you might be right, but I like my theory better. (laughs) (laughs) Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. That's right. So anyways, you were saying about the match. Sorry. All right. Um, so anyway, after they get unceremoniously broken up, which, Austin still never knows why. We'll never know. Uh, he ends up having a like kind of one last singles run before he ends up leaving. And that's where he has a series of matches with Ricky Steamboat. So another match to check out, Bash at the Beach 94, him and Steamboat for the U.S. title. Really awesome great match. stuff. I mean, you know, talk again, another part of that learning tree that Austin was under while he was sort of grooming. And, and this is coming up on the heels of him going to ECW and later WWF. Uh, these guys really taught him how to work and you could see some of the influences from him working with steamboat in some later matches i think especially with angle uh but really great stuff and he ends up getting injured and then he gets let go fedex style and then the old the chapter FedEx. comes in and so Vito, take it away for uh his extreme chapter in his career yeah, so he gets FedEx the departure letter from good old Eric Bischoff, right? And uh, w- before we actually go on to the next stage, though, talk about the the Paul Heyman situation with him because he meets Paul Heyman in WCW. Yeah, he meets Heyman in WCW. He, Heyman volunteers to have him join that stable because he thinks it's going to be a good rub for the young kid. And it turns out it was. He ended up winning the singles title. And they always sort of kept in touch when Paul left WCW. And as he started up ECW, he was there for, I think he started that in 93, 94, 95 rolls around. Austin's sitting on his couch, drinking booze. He's got a busted up arm. And Paul Heyman said, he called him up and he said, Hey man, do you want to come in and, you know, work for me? Austin's like, I, I can't do any work right now. I got a busted up arm. And then, you know, Paul's in his little shrill. He's like, well, can you talk? And so, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, no, Paul Heyman impression. By the way, no, that's a great Paul Heyman uh, impression. I I loved it. Uh, did you? He, he had a, a segment on now uh, with Roman Reigns where he did the the ten the ten bells salute oh, to I Daniel Bryan. He's like, 
Ding. That was, was great. <laughs> I love Paul Heyman. I love and hate Paul Heyman, but Paul Heyman is a great wrestling mind. And mm-hmm. so what does he do? Instead of, you know, listening to what everyone else wants to do, he says, Austin, just come in. You can talk, right? And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, come in. You're angry. You're pissed off. Be you. Be stone cold. So he comes in and he gives a, he sits down and gives this unbelievable pissed off speech about WCW and Eric Bischoff. And it was the start and the birth of what we know as Stone Cold Steve Austin. He became himself. They, he said in the documentary, he said that people were like clapping when he was done and it was that good. And you could see it. It's yeah. like the transformations there. But again, it's that perfect storm, right? Learns how to wrestle, has the grind. But because of that grind, he's angry, right? Mm-hmm. And he always says that, you know, what is Stone Cold life in real life? In real life. And the Stone Cold in real life is the same person that he portrays on TV, just dialed up. And you could see that. But a lot of that passion came from all the experiences he had. So he he gets on this good role in in um, in ECW and takes off. Right, he does a a, a, a skit about Hulk Hogan, which <laughs> was fantastic. Right, like great was, great Hulk awesome. Hogan. Yeah, people should check it out. It's all over YouTube. Just type in Stone Cold ECW promos. Yeah, it was. It really really was was great. Now um, I'll let you talk a little bit more about this, but we, you know, the, the whole Austin Sandman style type thing, right? Like (laughs) who stole whose gimmick? That's the question. I don't know. I don't know if uh, Sandman has enough brain cells to be able to do what Austin did, but Austin maybe took his gimmick and just amplified it a little. I would, I agree with you on that. I think this is very much almost like a wrestling chicken and egg situation. Like, <laughs> you know, because yeah, Sandman had his own thing going on. And, and, you know, while Austin was there, he gets sort of, he actually gets thrown into a program with Sandman at the time, who was the ECW champion. Yeah. So there's, there's a, some making of a match to check out Steve Austin versus Sandman versus Mikey Whipwreck for the ECW title. Um, December to December, 1995. It's not on the network right now, but I think it's working its way there. Contrary to Vito's conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, the funny thing about Mikey Whipwreck, though, I know we're talking about Austin, but yeah. Mikey Whipwreck in WC- ECW was awesome. He went to WCW and it just ruined his career. Like, I don't understand yeah. that. Like, it just, it some some places are just a perfect fit for somebody. Mikey yep. Whipwreck was one of those guys. Yeah, he definitely was. There was a couple of guys from ECW where as soon as yeah. they left there, like, they just yeah. needed to just, they worked in ECW and yeah, there only. It. Yeah. Uh, but Austin was actually not one of those guys. <laughs> he, no. he could work anywhere and he took things from each place he went. And when he got to ECW, I think he found, like you were saying, sort of, he found his core. He started to find the foundation of what would later become the Stone Cold character. And part of that may or may not have been him borrowing some pieces of the Sandman gimmick. And it doesn't seem like. I, I've never seen anything from Sandman as the years have gone on in interviews or making any accusations. So I doubt he really gives a fuck. I don't think no. we should either. Uh, it's just something to notice when you're yeah. when you're watching his ECW stuff. But speaking of forming a great foundation, nothing defines Austin's career more than than uh, trials and tribulations. And <laughs> none did he did he encounter more than when he first walks into the WWF. As not stunning Steve Austin with all this momentum from his time in WCW and ECW, he is the ringmaster. Yeah, but the thing with the the ringmaster is this, right? Like 
WWF wasn't at ECW's level yet, but Heyman and McMahon kind of had this like close relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he saw Austin and was like, this guy could fit here and took him in. But then just like in today's world, he gets the WWF treatment and he has to have some sort of cushy character. Right. And it took away from what Austin really was. So he has this coming to this, this coming to life of the stone cold. And then it kind of like subsides a little bit with the ring ringmaster as the suck ass gimmick. Um, But it got his foot in the door, right? It got his foot in the door. I mean, hey, they they basically they threw a wet blanket over any momentum he had. And then it took him a while to sort of dry that off, like almost a year for him yeah. to finally start drying that that shit off. Um, you know, we you'll see in any of the documentaries that you'll watch that he starts to really push for getting more independence with the character. And so he he finally gets some some OK to a- end up moving away from the ringmaster character and sort of developing what would be become the stone cold persona and, and it comes about in a really strange way. So he's already talking about like what kind of guy he wants to be and sort of the demeanor that he wants to carry. And he gets influenced by the serial killer, Richard Kuklinski. He was like the yeah. ice man. And so just, he's very cold, calculated, very flat, just like down to business. And Austin saw that and he felt inspired, you know, so he felt like he could take pieces of that. And then one day he's trying to figure out, while he's rummaging through this terrible list of different in-ring names that WWF sent him because he talked about wanting to be cold as ice and they were sending him names like Fang McFrost, Otto Van, Icicle or some shit like that. Like it was just (laughs) awful stuff. And his wife at the time was from London. So she made him tea and she puts the tea down next to him and she said, drink it before it gets stone cold. And that right there, stone cold Steve Austin. And again, it's like right spot, right time again. Right? Stone Cold, but it's it's funny because you can see he's a very calculated guy, mm-hmm. and it's like these things just came to him, like it was meant to be, you know. And it's it it worked, man. And I remember seeing him against Savio Vega, right? I, I'll I never love, forget. I like, love Savio Vega. Me too, by the way. I also do. But I remember the Raw he came on, and I was like, oh, this guy. Like, I'm like, this guy's a snaky, squirrely dude. And like, without even knowing that he was trying to portray that, that's mm-hmm. what you got from him. You got, and I, I compare him, I compare, um, uh, gosh, who's the John Moxley to Austin all the time, mm-hmm. because it's like that same snaky mentality, like you against the world. And I remember the match against Savio Vega and I'm like, I hate this guy. Like, I don't like him. Like, I don't like him. Yeah. It's just like yeah. this snaky dude. And it was like, again, I was still in that character phase of I like the good guy. I like hey, he was just a I like Bret Hart. Of course. Yeah, right, right. And and um, and so anyways, he comes in and he starts, you know, finding himself a little bit and he starts getting on on the cards and he's he's wrestling more often. And so the 1996 King of the Ring comes around and they're supposed to have triple H win it, but because the whole click send off, they decided against it. Right. Mm -hmm. And they gave, they said, Austin, this is your chance. So again, 
right place, right time, right? It's so wild. It really is. It's a great story. I mean, again, this guy's grinding. He's taking the opportunities. He's taking that brass ring as you want, and he's running with it. I mean, so much so that during the King of the Ring, he's got um, a match against, gosh, I can't remember. Mark Merrow. It was Mark Merrow. And that's where... Yeah, he something happened and he had to go to the hospital. Yeah, he like kicked. So Merrow kicks him like in the mouth and like his tooth ends up like busting through his bottom lip. So he had to go get it stitched up. And so he goes, comes back. And by the time he gets back, he's already like basically walking to go have his second match. And Jake the Snake had just cut a promo, a pretty religious promo at the time. And then... You know, I guess he asked Michael Hayes, like, what did he say? He's like, oh, he said something about like uh, John 316 and all this stuff. He's like, oh, okay. So he goes out, has the match <laughs> with Jake, stuns him, one, two, three, goes up to the podium or to the throne. Michael Hayes interviews him, and it's born right then and there. Austin 316 says, I just whooped your ass. And it's like one of those moments where just when you watch it back, you're like, oh, you could feel it in the crowd. They were like, oh, this guy's fucking awesome. Like it it went from kind of hating him to like, that was the first moment where he was, he was a heel, but he got that pop. Yeah. And then at the, before the match even started, he had that whole line about you thump your Bible, you say Mm -hmm. your prayers. And, and we, we talk about this, like right place, right time. Well, he must've had respect because a guy like, like Jake, the snake was well-respected. He had his issues and people knew that, but he still, even to this day is the best one of the best talkers on the mic of all time like it just it's natural for mm-hmm. this guy and he was willing to put austin over and if it wasn't for his change in character right in the way that he was going about it and putting his personal issues in there you wouldn't have seen that snakiness from stone cold that really pushed his character you know it was like yeah. it was perfect like how could you have planned that jake was religious at the time and use that. And because of that, that's the only reason Austin 316 came about. That wasn't something he was just going to think off the top of his head. It was a it was bouncing off of, of something the other character had said. It's 100%. Beautiful. Yeah. And it, it, that's really where the, the lightning bolt started, right? You know, he talks about it all the time. You ride that lightning bolt until you can't ride it anymore. Because once it stops, it's hard to get back. Mm-hmm. And Austin, again, the grind. I'll say this again because this is a really big, important part about him that I never really realized until watching this documentary. But his grind and his desire to be on top was unlike anyone else you'd seen in the business. Yeah, you got your Hulk Hogan. And yeah, he's always going to be that Babe Ruth. But that was different. He was the 6'5, six, 6'4 six, guy, like perfect body. Like he just, he, it, the way he went about it was just completely different than Stone Cold. And Stone Cold's grind to get there was just so crazy. And this was the moment that it started. And I think the moment that you'll see just, he he rode that thing as mm-hmm. far and as fast as he could. And he takes that. And even during that, that King of the Ring moment, which I know the leader of men had some great things to say about this. And we're going to get his take on this because he had some really, really great stuff to say on this particular moment in general. But like even right then and there at that moment, when he's talking to Michael Hayes, he comes up with the, that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. He didn't rehearse it. He just said it. It's like that off the cuff click. Boom, mm-hmm. done, you know, and it was just, it was perfect. And you go back, I always watch that and it's just, it's great. So let's, let's keep the story moving forward. Let's he, keep it going. He, so he wins there and, and then he, what? he wins the King of the Ring and 
speaking of the grind, one thing I always appreciated about Austin was he was always there to fight for his character. You know, we, that's part of the grind for him, I think. And to his detriment, sometimes he would be fighting creative. One thing I always appreciated, and during this time in 96, he talks about this in interviews where he was often put on commentary and, and kind of essentially cutting promos during matches. And Vince was sort of kind of muting him and sort of cutting him out. And Austin said, you know, you're cutting my legs out from under me. You know, I don't have a lot of marketing when it comes to I'm a bald guy wearing black trunks and I got a knee brace. Like, I need to I need to be interesting. Don't take my personality away. And, and him being able to advocate and talk to Vince and get to get Vince to sort of give him that shot and just say, all right, like, give me a give me a little room here. And he took off. So I, I you know, just one instance where Austin was able to present a different solution and not end up just. You know how throughout his career he he often yeah. bought stuff and didn't have a solution present. It was like, yeah. well, you're creative, just come up with something different. But, yeah, I think it's a different mindset though later yeah. on in his career. It's oh, it that grind got paranoid. to him. The grind is good, but the grind is bad. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I I I'll, I'll say like I may be overstepping a little bit here, but no, the it. other part of what jumped off, we talk about right place, right time. I've said that a bunch tonight, but it's true. And that time in in our society was different. You had a more rebellious stage. Mm-hmm. And I think people were seeing that. And you could see it in society, even the music, like your rage against the machine. You know, you got all these these different things going on that are popular and it's outside the norm. And so he represented that really well. He represented kind of, you know, effing of the authority figure. And it really started. Yeah, there with Jake, but then he also got the bump from from uh, Bret Hart. Bret Hart, Bret Hart is, was like the Hogan at the time, mm-hmm. and he was this character that everyone loved. I was a Bret Hart guy, so I hated Austin at the time. Mm-hmm. And to the fact that he was willing to put on a program and, and Bret saw something in him too, yep. that was also brought him to a whole nother level. Absolutely. The fact that Bret Hart was coming back after his loss at WrestleMania 12 – I mean, you had to think, Brett wasn't back on TV from, what, March till October? Late October, yeah. November? So he comes back, and the first person he chooses to work with is Austin. He saw him coming from a mile away. He always says that. He was always yeah. watching Steve's career. Again, easy to say now. <laughs> Brett might be the only person I could actually believe that on. But <laughs> but anyway, I digress. He Brett sort of says, hey, I want to work with Austin, and and those series of matches that follow and the promos that follow that really help ignite the fire under what becomes a, a white hot run for Austin from that match at survivor series in 1996 through the Royal rumble where we see him sort of chicken shit win. And, and Austin gets like a, a kind of, I don't know that is it a real win? Do you count it? I, count I don't know. I think they count it. If you look at the uh, stats every year when they do the Royal it. rumble. Yeah, I count it. Yeah, I mean, he was smooth. Yeah, why wasn't 100%. there a referee on that side of the ring? I exactly. Don't I don't know. You know. Yeah. So then it gets to so the Royal Rumble happens, and because of a series of cheating or really the refs not seeing, Austin comes back in the ring. He eliminates Brett, and their story continues to WrestleMania 13, where they have probably one of the best matches in in Mania history in that I Quit match with Ken Shamrock as the guest referee. Yeah. No, I agree. And that, that's, that is possibly my favorite match of all time. I love that match. I just think it's great. The way, the way that 
if you listen to Bret Hart talk about that match, mm-hmm. he talks about how he the subtle things of him shifting from a a baby face to a heel, but he really wasn't full heel. He was kind of like baby face saying that Austin was a baby face. It was weird yeah. because it was yeah. a shift like that you hadn't seen before. So he started yeah, it, yeah. It, like so, for for the listeners that aren't familiar with what happens in this match, they do something in wrestling that's really difficult to pull off, and it's called a double turn. And basically, what that means is the the bad guy in the match, Stone Cold, and the good guy in the match, Bret Hart, by the end of the match, will have switched places. Yep. And it is often tried and very rarely executed well. And this is one of the very few, if not maybe the only, where it's just pulled off to perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's true. And it, a lot of it was because of the subtle things that they did. Brett was always the guy that did things the right way. And even in the locker room, same thing. Mm-hmm. Austin is portrayed as a sneaky snake guy. But the way that Brett and him were wrestling, it was outside of Brett's normal wrestling style. And it made him seem angry at Austin and the crowd for how Austin was acting, but it basically glorified his heel behavior is Mm -hmm. the best way to describe it. Yeah. And so when he lost, they didn't even make it a clean loss. They made him so that he passed out from the blood rush. Yeah. Yeah. Right. One of the most iconic images in wrestling like history is that Austin with his face up and the blood's like going into the teeth. It's I think they made a T-shirt out of it. Yeah. And you can't even like you can't portray that any better because it basically says, yeah, Brett won, but it was like sour grapes. The fans hated it, but Austin never quit. Mm -hmm. So it made him seem like a good guy. But he really wasn't. So it's like it's polar opposite. And that to me is the start of the Attitude Era. Like that really to me, like you have the Bret Hart situation. It's right around the same time Mm -hmm. with McMahon. But like those two together, it's just it's perfect. And and so he continues to ride that lightning bolt and the crowd is over on Austin like you wouldn't believe. But the thing here is you have other people behind the scenes like Sean Michaels, who's in the top. And when you're in the top, you get paranoid. You don't want to lose your spot, man. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's, it was difficult. It was difficult, but the best thing that happened, and I believe it was between this time and WrestleMania 14 is what he had the feud with the rock. Right. Uh, so it wasn't the rock yet. So, okay. after, so after this time, so he has the match at, at WrestleMania 1997 against Bret Hart afterwards, he ends up getting a title match against The Undertaker. And it's a pretty good right. match. And it's in a, a weird factoid. It's one of the only times you'll see Austin ever take the tombstone. Because after after what happens at SummerSlam, Austin's very leery of taking pile drivers through the rest of his career. Yeah. So just fun fact. Uh, Makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, luckily, before that match, before that, that ill-fated SummerSlam, he has King of the Ring 97. At this point, he's tag team champions with Shawn Michaels, and they end up just having a match against one another. I thought at first it was actually part of the tournament, but it's not. So they end up feuding, and they have this really great match that ends in, I think, like a double DQ because they both just end up like beating the hell out of the referees. But that match right there was definitely something that Vince McMahon was watching backstage. 
he saw the chemistry those guys had together and thought that's going to be my WrestleMania man. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. But if for folks who wanted to see what I think what we all wanted to see at WrestleMania 14, check out that King of the Ring match from 1997. It's really good. Yeah, I remember that one. You're right. It is. It was good. So so then he moves on and then SummerSlam comes. Right. And that's when the whole situation. So he's in a feud with with Owen Hart for the Intercontinental Championship. Owen gives him a gives him a pile driver. His uh, head is below his legs and Austin suffers basically a fractured neck. And and and, and it, it, he's at this high and he's about to hit the peak and then he hits this this low and he still finishes the match like I, it was unbelievable the guy's basically paralyzed for moments and finishes the match and wins and tries to walk off and with a basically a fractured neck it's insane and, and you can see it in the documentary I, I never knew this but he's kind of breaking down crying because how could you not after something like that happening? Yeah. Your, your life flashing before your eyes. The first thing he's thinking of when he can't feel anything is Christopher Reeve. And yeah. the luckily the feelings came back to his extremities. But what a scary, scary thing to have gone through. I can't imagine that, the fear that would run through you. And he ends up having to get surgery, but still... Well, no, no he didn't actually get surgery, did he? I think he had only had... He was sort of just trying to rehab it. Yeah. and even then, like he's coming out and like delivering stunners to people, and yeah, but that's like, the that's the point though. He knew how hard he worked to get grind. to that, and the grind. If he didn't do that, he wouldn't be where he is because that's where the whole Austin McMahon thing started, yeah. right? Yep. So you think it's this terrible thing, Austin's done, but he's not, and he continues to ride that lightning bolt when maybe he probably shouldn't have. And those effects affect him now. And we'll talk about Mm -hmm. that at the end. But like that lightning bolt started and he continued to come out and the crowd liked him even more because he got more time on the mic. Because again, what did he do in ECW? He talked and that's what he did here. And so he continued to talk. And that's when the Austin McMahon feud started. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I think it was it was a show in like December of 97 I think it might have been Madison Square Garden, where it's like the stunner heard around the world. We finally came off, and and that was sort of the real catalyst for Vince McMahon, the on-TV character. This is coming off the screw job, so people already hate Vince, and he just sort of rolled with that and also kind of lifting up Austin as well. Perfect so, place, perfect time again. Yep, and, and his momentum just continues. He ends up winning the 1998 Royal Rumble. Also at the 98 Rumble, Shawn Michaels is in a match with The Undertaker, ends up getting his back hurt. So that's something that carries over into a couple months later in Boston. Vito, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, I was there. I have an article up on uh, strutingfromgorilla.com. You can check it out. It was my WrestleMania moment, and um, it was awesome. And, you know, it, it wasn't perfect, right? Again, anytime you have, you're on top and you're on top with this much pressure, you're going against another company and you're fighting for this top spot that you've been waiting your whole life for and you've been grinding with no money and you finally get there. It's the same thing with Michaels. Michaels didn't want to give up the belt, but he had to. He was going through issues and he couldn't handle that pressure. Think about it that way. He couldn't handle the pressure of being on top. Mm-hmm. And now, it's Austin's turn. The match wasn't the best match in the whole world, but it lived up to the hype. It was fine. It was great. Austin wins the belt 
And again, that lightning bolt is just continuing to ride. It's continuing to ride and it's going higher and higher. And basically at this point, you know, they give him the belt and it's, this is the start of WWF basically crushing WCW in the ratings. It took some time, but they got there. And the reason that WWF was able to go corporate and you look back at this time and he had the feuds with the rock. He had the feuds with Mr. McMahon and again, right places, right times. And he, he does it so well, but you don't realize what he's sacrificing behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Okay. This guy is 24 seven wrestling. These guys were doing shows almost seven days a week. There was no days off. He couldn't take a day off. He was sacrificing time with his family. His personal life was a mess. But Paul Heyman says it perfectly in the documentary. And I don't remember the line word for word, Mm -hmm. but it was like the price of fame is expensive or it's heavy. And it's true. And I look at this and I I always give the guys a lot of hard a hard time with today's wrestlers. And maybe I just didn't realize exactly what comes with how much he had to work. I mean, he was all over like the late night talk shows, you know, sports, everything, but that comes with a big price. And I just don't know that anyone else would be able to do that like Austin did. And I don't know that you'll see that again. I really don't. And we were lucky enough to see the rock was the same way. Mm -hmm. It just, they were there at the same time. And it was, it was great to see. And, and, the the KO when I really noticed this was when Kevin Owens came on the documentary and he goes, I hate when people ask me all the time, like, when can I, when are you going to be like stone cold? When are you going to be like stone cold? He's like, I'm not stone cold. I'm not doing that. Like, think Mm -hmm. about it, you know? And he goes, there will never be, you can't compare people to guys like this. And I never really looked at it that way. Yeah. It it almost felt like almost a resignation. I I think that he said something along the lines of like, well, it's not like Austin's like, but I'm trying, you know, like everybody's trying to sort of reach that level. And it's really hard to do. And I think we were really spoiled at the time for watching it when we were. So what seeing Austin sort of at his heights and just the things that guy was able to do with the crowd you know, one thing that Austin didn't get a lot of credit for that he was really good at and and something that's on that Blu-ray, at least his shenanigans after shows. He was really big yeah. about like just sending the fans home like with a with a great show, like really happy. You know, there's times when him and The Rock would like do like they would drink, have like a line of beers and they'd all have to like drink the beers like at backstage like, yep. in front of everyone after the show goes off the air. Um, Austin was great at that and sort of entertaining it. You know, he loved that. He thrived off of it. Um, yeah. But his in-ring, though, he still we still got a few more things. Uh, yeah, no, he, but, you know, when he had that neck issue, mm-hmm. he had to change his whole style, too. Yeah, became which a people brawler. don't realize. He couldn't, yeah, he had to become a brawler. And that's really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And he did a great job with it. Yeah, no, I think he, he transitioned really well. And speaking of some of the feuds he had along the way, uh, you know, obviously, the biggest one he had was The Rock. I think, yep. you know, we talk about The Rock a lot. You know how much I love him. But... One thing that I thought was really well represented in the A&E documentary was sort of talking about the mentorship that Austin had for Rock sort of backstage, which I never really knew about. I always got the impression that they were rivals backstage, but I guess not. And, you know, Austin sort of seeing that Rock was coming up 
in the ranks and he was good at promos and he was good in the ring and he wanted to work with them. And those guys just were pure magic together. And I think Paul Heyman said it where, you know, Austin found his equal. And I think that's why all those matches were so electric. Cause like finally, like <laughs> to quote the rock, finally, yeah, like he found like the one in one a, yeah. all these, all these, all the wrestlers talk about that, that were there at the time. Like, having two number ones there at the same time. Well, like what a, and for like such a short period, it was like maybe a year and a half when they're both there. Yeah. In their prime. It was really cool. No. And I, you're hundred percent right. I agree. It, it was a once in a lifetime thing. And um, you're the equal is right. And they do a great job in the documentary talking about the rock and the rock is on there too, which yeah. that guy's not going to come back for nobody. So he clearly has a lot of respect for Austin and it, it was great. It was it was awesome. I, I yeah. loved every second of it. But the other part of it, too, is, you know, we don't talk about this, but because of all the pressure that was on him to stay on the top spot, he had to keep reinventing himself. Right. Mm-hmm. And you get to a point where WrestleMania, they basically say WrestleMania 17 was like the peak of the Attitude Era and the peak mm-hmm. of wrestling. And after that, it starts to go downhill. And I think with that and Austin, you start to see him, the personal stuff is starting to affect him and they're starting to, I'm not going to say they're not moving on, but they're, they're starting to push some other guys. Right. And so they push, they start to push Brock Lesnar, obviously guys, a freak and the way they did it, Austin had a problem with, but you couple that with his personal problems and he walks out. Right. Cause they were going to have him go over. At, yeah, it was like in 2002. It was like, yeah, they were going to have yeah, Monday Night Raw, the King of the Ring. And, yeah. and Austin says it to this day. He's like, I don't understand it. He goes, I have no problem with putting Brock Lesnar over, but on a Raw, he goes, we could make money. He goes, that's what it's about, making the money. If I'm going to lose and I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it and make money. And that's was his problem. And he even says, he goes, I didn't handle it the right way. And so he goes yeah. on a hiatus and was in bad terms with McMahon and, and, and this whole thing. And it was, it was, it was a pretty rough patch for him. So yeah, he was gone for a while and then he gets the call. He, he has a, a olive branch by JR ends up arranging a meeting with him and Vince. And then he comes back in 2003, comes back in like February and he's only active as a wrestler for about a month or so longer than that. It turns out, you know, uh, the, everything took a toll, the grind that we keep bringing up today. Austin just takes a toll. It took a toll on Austin and you know, his neck was messed up. His knees were messed up his back. He ends up almost what he, he had essentially like a panic attack is the way I understand he's dehydrated. He was drinking tons of caffeine and he was just, I think him knowing that his career was coming to an end also kind of had him on edge. And so he almost, he goes to the hospital. They technically didn't clear him and he leaves anyway. Yeah, he goes. If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die in the ring. And but yeah. that's the mentality, though. That's it's like this garage. guy knows like, knows how much he sacrificed for this business, and it's he all was gonna, gonna Randy the Ram himself. I know he <laughs> was. He was 100 percent gonna do that. Yeah. No, you're 100 percent right. Um, and it was just, it was crazy. And and the match, I didn't know at the time that it was his last match. Nobody did, and they could have made a much bigger deal about it. He didn't want to. He didn't I, want to. And here, here's what I'm going to ask you. Do you think that they would even let him do that now? If it was 2021 and it was Austin, and no. let's, say, let's say that run happened exactly the same way, but now no. they would no. not have let him do that so no, subtly and no. so without pomp or circumstance. Nope. You had one thing that was strange, 
right? At yeah. the end of the match when him and Rock are just sitting in the middle of the ring talking. You know, I remember watching that and and me and my friends are thinking, well, what what's going on? What what yeah. are they why were why are they sitting there talking to each other? And then later on you found out they're just like basically having a bromance in the middle of the ring. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. But I always wondered what Rock said to him when he because I knew he said something. Yeah, like when you look back. In. Yeah, he basically just said, I love you, man. That's it. And, and and Austin said, I love you too. And then he was like, he's never said that before. <laughs> I know, Rock no, was like shocked. <laughs> it was a cool ending. And what's what's great about it is he knew your your lightning bolt ride is not mm-hmm. long. And he got it for a good amount of time. And he, rather than make draw on like a lot of other people did, you know, the level of intensity to stay at where he wanted to be, yeah, couldn't be there. So he moved on. And I, I give him credit for not wrestling again. I give him credit for doing it the way that he did. He's going to be healthy. I mean, as, as healthy as he can be. Um, and it, it was really it was a great way to to end his career. And I like that he did it with the rock. And unfortunately the rock didn't have much time after that. Cause he ended up moving no, on as well. No, but really like the end of the attitude era was, it was before that though. Like even on WrestleMania 17, that's when he did the heel turn. Right. Right. And we so, didn't talk about this and I want to mention it though, yeah. because it was a big thing. You know, again, you take out your competition in WCW, and then what's going to happen? It the w- what was there is not going to stay there. Mm-hmm. And his act, you can only do it for so long. And he needed to do something different. He needed to go against different opponents, and they weren't giving him those guys to go up against. And so he yeah. wanted to turn heel, and they all just kind of said, "Okay," you know. And and he did. And tw- quite honestly. I think that's what killed it like that. I just wasn't a big fan of it. I mean, it worked toward a little bit cause it was funny, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't the Austin you knew and loved. No. And I, I agree with you in that that heel turn did not really work. And there were a couple things that I think happened here. The biggest one was the rock didn't stick around and You'll find that what they had the WrestleMania 17 match, they have that return match the next night on Raw. And that match on Raw, Austin's getting booed out of the building. Rock's getting cheered like crazy. And then Triple H comes out, and then Vince is out, and they're getting shit on. They're throwing stuff. If you watch the end of that match, they're yeah. throwing stuff after they beat yeah. the hell out of the Rock. Yeah. And then the Rock is gone. Yeah. So he just, uh, that that is why when Paul Heyman said he was his equal, that's what you needed. You needed yeah. a face that was just as strong. And the yeah. people were not going to shit on The Rock when Austin just, you know, teamed up with Vince. Yeah. So with I think that and I'll kind of die on this hill. That heel turn didn't work because The Rock wasn't around for that beginning of it to sort of get him established as that bad guy. They did that. as good as they could with with Triple H. I think Triple H is a great heat seeker. People kind of love to hate him, so yep. it felt natural to team them up. But then Triple H can send her. So then he loses another piece of the heat seeking puzzle. So now he's sort of left on his own again. And what is he doing? He's like changing up his knee brace colors, like which is fine. And adds a little pizzazz, I suppose, and tries to, to change up what everybody knew was Stone Cold. But, you know, he had great matches with, with Angle during this heel turn. He had great matches with Benoit, with Jericho. But no matter what, he needed somebody big. And yeah. and all due respect to the Undertaker, and he had a couple matches with him. Like that wasn't going to do it. Yeah, that wasn't going to be the thing that established him. So 
I'm not trying to shit on Rock for leaving for Hollywood, but it's just yeah, it's just terrible timing for how this happened. No, I would agree there, and I I, I also think he was going through a tough time with his personal life again when you shut everything out and you focus on one thing and then all of a sudden everything's coming at you and you have all this pressure and it was even said that he was very much a loner he didn't travel Mm -hmm. with anybody like yeah it's it's a lot but i felt like he had he felt like he had to do it because he had worked so hard i feel like and i think you come all of that combined and and then you don't have you don't have the competition anymore man like you're not right. going up against a separate company so what are you fighting for at that point you know it, it, and it's like why am i sacrificing all of this for what what's the end goal we just won you know and it's like it was like a perfect storm and i think his time was up and it was a great ride mm-hmm. and again it'll go down I, I'll, I'll tell you when i was at wrestlemania 14 i'll never forget the pop that i heard when he came out it was unlike anything you've ever heard like i can't imagine it was unreal and like i'll never forget that moment like it was you know it was nuts and and that's the type of pop he would get all the time and he was just it, it i don't think it will ever be matched and i don't think we can this is coming from me now. You're hearing me say this. I think it's unfair to compare a lot of the today's superstars to that. I think it's just that I enjoyed it so much. It's tough to enjoy the stuff you're watching now because it's not as enjoyable. So that's that's where I'll leave it with Stone Cold. I you know, that. So he has this retirement match. He's beat up. He goes home. He comes back as like an authority figure, like most people do to have him on Mm -hmm. TV. And it wasn't bad. Like it was what it was. It was great to have him on TV, but it was, it was what it was, you know, it, it was what it was. And he goes on and does other things. He starts doing movies and he does the podcasting and he's trying to figure out what's his next step. And I'll tell you the hosting of the reality shows and the podcasting is great. He yep. does a great job with that. His He's podcast. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I I think that's kind of his niche. I don't know that movies are. I don't no. think he's as good as The Rock there. <laughs> no. but, but the podcasting and like hosting reality shows, I think it's great. He's he's got this niche to it. And um it was it was a great documentary. You know, it was a great career from him. And he's mm. gonna be that bar that I just feel like it's gonna be very hard to reach. And the next person that does, I'll be very impressed. What are your, I know we didn't plan any of this, but what yeah. are some of your top moments from his career? Personal, uh, personal highlights. Yeah. So I loved all the shenanigans he did. I loved when he, so there's a couple in a different ways, right? Yeah. When he pours the cement in McMahon's car. That's great. One. Great. I My all time favorite though, is when McMahon is in the, um, is in the, uh, the hospital. And he comes in and Mick Foley's there with Mr. Socko and yeah. he hits him and, and hits him with the, the thing on the top. Oh, the it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And then the beer spraying and uh, mobile and then the, um, the Zamboni, all that yeah. stuff was great. You know, that was the loudest bedpan shot of all time. I'll oh. never, you'll never yeah. see that again. It's like the perfect hit. Yeah. Just, it's like the bing yeah. right off the McMahon. Agreed. Drum. So, but good. then he had he had comical moments too. Yeah, with him and Angle, oh, so good, so, so good. <laughs> yeah, what were what were yours? Is that one? When he's like Kumbaya, yeah. <laughs> um, one. Uh, obviously, I love the whole the the concrete machine too. Like that's I don't know why, but that's just like just destroying that Corvette is so tragic, but it's so funny at the same time. Oh, so good. Uh, I used to I really liked when him and Rock sang margaritaville yes. <laughs> do you remember that it's like yeah it was like right before survivor series and the network cut this out 
probably because they sing Margaritaville. But oh my god, it's look it up on YouTube because it's hysterical. And they're actually in Boston when they do this segment, and it's it's funny because both of them were such great rivals, and just to see them sort of like let their hair down a little bit and just have some fun was was just awesome. And obviously the what? I mean the what chant. At that time, it was really good. You know, there's yep. he he pulled some great promos on Scott Hall when he first came around. Yeah, that he was did. just perfect. What template of a promo? No, he did. Uh, listen, you know, he had some. I mean, you could name. He had so much. A ton. It's like because he's he could be funny. He could be super serious, and we love those moments where he's just coming out like that whole invasion angle. The only highlight that I ever had was that night when like the old stone colds came back and the WWF's getting beat down and then the glass breaks and, oh, that was awesome. and he beats the shit out of oh, everybody. He comes in. That, oh, was, yeah. that was like one of the last true stone cold moments. It was so great. Yeah. It was him against the world. It was, mm-hmm. it was awesome. No, that's it, when his character was at its best. Yeah, no, it really was. And again, that's the John Moxley comparison. I see mm-hmm. again, it's probably, it's not to that level, but I, it's like a shade that you see it. It's, it's, Ah, uh, yeah, he was good, man. He, he, really he was good. I th- listen. This episode was 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 well overdue. Um, we could probably do another ten on him if we really, <laughs> really wanted to. Uh, unfortunately, his career wasn't that long. Uh, but it was, it was, it was concentrated. Right? It was a great. Yeah. It's like, it unlike the Undertaker, which is not. It's not concentrated. <laughs> it's a slow burn. <laughs> yeah, completely different. Um, but but no, I you know I, I we'll we'll leave it there. Okay. Um. And, uh, you know, make sure if you guys disagree with us or you think we forgot something super important yeah. about Stone Cold, tweet at us, Instagram at us, Facebook mm-hmm. at us, TikTok at us, throw some smoke signals, whatever you want to do. Right. You know, we love to hear about it. Um, and and we'll we'll even give you a shout out on the next the next podcast here. Um, next episode, not 100 percent sure what we're doing yet. Do you know what it is? Is it? uh I think it's the one and only about, it's going to be about another man who claims to be the most popular superstar of all time. A wear red real and yellow? American. Yeah, I thought so. It's going to be about Hogan. This will be a good one. We, I don't know if we'll have enough time to talk about it. You know, you got to give this guy time. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but, um, we appreciate y'all listening. Hopefully we'll have Bobby, yeah, the leader you. of men and, and mango back. Um, Again, everyone have a great night. And that's the bottom line. Because Vito and Mikey Cash said so. We now return your perception of reality to you. Until next time.